Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, the podcast for people who value real, different conversations, conversations that sit at the intersection of business, life, marketing, and more, and conversations that we hope inspire you to focus on the exponential power of what makes you different. We're sponsored by my friends at Oracle NetSuite. This is the company that is the platform for growth for many of the top entrepreneurial businesses, and they're offering you a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. To set that up, go to netsuite.com different today. That's netsuite.com different. I also want to tell you about a spectacular new career handbook called Crash Your Career, written by my buddy Isaac Morehouse, and I uh, actually wrote the foreword to this uh, handbook. To get a free preview of it, go to crash.co slash different. That's crash.co slash different. And this is perfect for anybody starting out in their career or looking to produce a career breakthrough. All right, on this episode, a great guy, a guy I've really enjoyed getting to know named Mike Flynn. He's an entrepreneur. He's a top podcaster. He has a podcast called The Impact Entrepreneur. And he's recently written his first book, which hit number one on Amazon. It's a wonderful business book, but get this, it's a novel. It's called Master the Key. And we talk about why Mike wrote such a heartfelt novel, why Mike believes every company needs to focus on the personal development and growth of their people and the power of having a deep commitment to service. I also think you might find our conversation on universal basic income interesting. So listen for that. You can go to lockhead.com for the show notes on this episode and learn more about my buddy, Mike Flynn. Now, hey ho, let's go. of the workforce globally is actively disengaged at work. And it's costing people $7 trillion. 40% of them in the U.S. at least have done something about it. And they actually have started a side gig, right? There's 40% of the 150 million people in the United States of America have some sort of a side hustle going on, right? They're following their passion. Now, you and I both know that most businesses will fail within the first five years. So if someone's following their passion and they don't know what they're really passionate about because they don't know what they're willing to suffer for and they still haven't left their job that they're disengaged at, when that business fails and they fall back on that that place where they were actively disengaged, what's going to happen, Christopher? So... I think what's going to happen is what we're seeing, you know, uh, escalating depression rates, uh, stunning uh, weight and obesity problems, uh, health and health problems associated with that. Um, You know, I think we're seeing the impact of of what you're talking about. And, you know, it's interesting. We just had Jim Harder or just recently had Jim Harder Mm -hmm. on the podcast and he's the chief scientist at Gallup. And, oh. and they did a research report of that's, 30, that's it. 37 um, million people, largest research report or study ever on sort of, I forget exactly, you'll excuse me for not remembering exactly the title, but he wrote a book called It's the Manager Summarizing the Work. And two thirds of managers are disengaged. So yeah. if, you're, if your boss is disengaged, then, you know, what's going on with you? And actually there's a, 
it's so interesting we're talking about this because you brought this up, not me. There's a couple dots that have been swizzling around in my head. So we have that one, which is a giant one. We also, uh, not long ago, had uh, Professor Scott Galloway on. I love that episode, by the way. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah. That's a lot coming from you. Yeah. He's, he's, that guy is very. The man. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I got a bit of a bromance with him. I don't know. He may not want to have one with me, but I have one with him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you remember the conversation, then one of the big sort of pieces of his book, Algebra of Happiness, was this research data that says that happiness, if you graph it, uh, uh, the graph being happiness over time, it looks like a smile mm -hmm. and that people are happy from zero to 20, 25. He says 25 is plus or minus shit gets real. Yeah. Happiness goes down, jobs, kids, divorces, getting fired. Da, 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 da. Um, and then when you get to 45, 55, and again, I might be a little bit off, but I'll be generally right. The curve starts to come back up. And so happiness at the front end of life, happiness at the back end of life. And then there's this big sag in the middle. So you sort of have that idea swizzling in your head. And to your point, you go, hmm, well, nobody's engaged at work. And happiness sags in the middle. And some percentage of that you have to attribute to work. And then here was the other one that I connected. Uh, you didn't by happen to chance hear the um, Dan Cassetta episode when I'm he not, came? I'm not. So I think it's really worth listening to. Dan is an amazing guy. He wrote a book with Jack Canfield. And he's um, one of the real leaders at Cutco Knives. Oh, wow. Okay. And he That's runs a great company. An amazing company. And Dan was a big part of creating this aha. And the aha with Cutco is... Uh, summed up with a mantra they have called um, selling knives while changing lives or changing lives through selling knives mm -hmm. or you know, I may be off, but it's one or the other or both. I don't know. <laughs> but the, uh, the insight was, well, what if we're not a kind of a sales company selling this product, knives and cutlery? What if our mission was like to use an analogy like a Tony Robbins, like a Zig Ziglar, like a, what if we were a self-growth leadership training, 100%. sales training, communication, presentation, relationship building, marketing. What if that, our job was to do that. They have mostly young people, 18 to 25-ish, right? And, and that our job was not only to be a personal development company, but a personal development company for young people. Mm -hmm. And that we, Cutco, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing Dan, but we would be um, either the or certainly one of the defining places that a young person could work. And our job was to set them on a path that would be great for their life and their career. So Dan, Dan talks about that in detail. So the, the, these three ideas have been in my head. You have everything you're talking about around the horrible engagement. You have the Scott Galloway. There's this big dip in happiness during your work yeah. time. And then you have this idea from this company that takes 18-year-olds and there are many people my age who say, oh, 18 year olds today are fucking assholes and lazy. And uh, they take 18 year olds and they turn them into extraordinary result producing people, right? 100%. So here's the aha. If more companies thought the way Cutco slash Dan Cassetta thought, imagine if, and, I, and I'll just use an example of, you know, pick a, pick a great company. Uh, GE. GE. Imagine if GE said in one of their divisions, we're not selling 
whatever it is, the division, washing machines or yeah. media. We're a personal development company. Yes. What, yeah. ha what would happen if half the companies in America took the Dan Cassetta? The whole world would change is what would happen. I was, it's, I love that you just brought that up because in that video that I just recorded, I literally said that every company has to become a personal development company. And I did not listen to Dan's episode, but it's, it's the truth. He's the OG. I know. It's like, he's but, the OG. You know, like it's, it's the, it's the truth. Every company needs to become a personal development company because every single person in that every organization is made up of a bunch of individuals who are grappling with four fundamental questions. Who am I? How do I show up in the world? What do I do when I get there? And who do I do it with? Mm. In other words, what's my story? What are my gifts? What kind of action should I take? And who should I take it with? And that everybody from the CEO down to the janitor is is grappling with those questions. Yeah, I mean, I look, I get super simple about this stuff. I go back to Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. Right? Game-changing book. Certainly was for me. I mean, I read it at 13 or 14, maybe 15, but I think it was younger than that. But anyway... Uh, incredible, right? And so, uh, and when you really get into the research around happiness, there's no such thing as a lonely centenarian, mm -hmm. right? And so to your point, we have to feel like there's some reason for us to be alive. Mm -hmm. And for most people, that reason is centered around, do I matter to some people? Am I making some kind of a difference? Am I valued? And there's a crazy thing about this that I've been thinking a lot about. Me and my friend John Ruggie have been talking a lot about this. In some ways, Mike, there's so many dichotomies in life. I find them so interesting. And the one that's on this is, on one hand, as human beings, we have a huge desire to fit in, to be part of a tribe, to, mm -hmm. to I, I want you to like me, you, you want me to like, we want, right? Right. It's natural. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, so there's this need to fit in. But at the same time, we want to be, I'm going to use this word on purpose. Maybe I've lived in Santa Cruz too long, you'll tell me. But we want to be loved for what makes us different. We want to be, you want your family, I want my family to love me for what makes me uniquely me. Mm -hmm. Most of us are, you know, it's cool that we have similarities and we can connect. You know, I meet a fellow Canadian living in California and you have a similarity that's a fun thing to talk about. So there's value in our similarities. But as human beings, I want you to value me for what I think makes me uniquely me, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You wrote this book. I, this, this book, right, is a heart book. Mm -hmm. Totally. Right. Like you, you're <laughs> who you are. There's this great expression. I wish I knew who said it, but who you are speaks so loudly. I can't hear what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Like when I read this book, what I had was. Let me say it this way. The messenger was as loud as the message. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways. The messenger is the message, right? Like you were screaming at me in this book mm -hmm. through the story. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you don't write this and i don't think you do the kind of podcast you do and i don't think you do and i think people who do work that is creative for them work that has a heart component to them 
Uh, and I think lots of work can have a hard component. And, mm-hmm. You know, my friend Tanya Catan says you can make any job a creative job. Um, so there, I guess my point in all that, and then I really want your reaction is on one hand, we want to belong and be connected. Yeah. But the flip side of that is we want to be loved for what makes us unique and different and, and what we think is special about us. And if I can't be myself with you, right, then it's really hard for me to be your friend. And that is the problem with love because you're, you're absolutely right that we all want to be loved for what makes us different, but we don't do that first for others. Say more about that. In other words, I'm, I'm Catholic and I was at, we, we had this, this, this priest and he gave this homily one time and he said, the problem with love is that everyone wants to be loved first. And I was, and then he like basically dropped the mic and like sat down. That was basically his homily was that. And I'm like, dang, that is so true. Like what you just said is also true, but we need to like, if I have to love Christopher Lockhead's different first, like I got to let go of mine. Like my, it's everything that we are, are called to do in this world is to be done in the service of others including loving someone else is different, right? And, and if we do that, if we, if we, if we give that which we desire for ourselves, then, and the world starts to reciprocate that, then we're going to, we're going to be in a tribe where that, where this, there's a synergistic effect that's happening. Now the world is, is not that way. Okay. Right now. And there are a lot of people listening. Ah, that's a bunch of BS, garbage, you know, woo-woo stuff. Nobody right? listening. Nobody. <laughs> that's right. I forgot. Nobody listens. But that's a decision. You talked about choices earlier. That's a choice that they yeah. have to make. That's that is a moment where they can reflect upon who they've surrounded it, themselves with. Well, and see, now you're on, I think, another fascinating dichotomy about, you know, I think about this shit a lot. I right? do too, yeah. Yeah, I know you do. Um so we want to be loved for our different. Some of us have different on a spectrum. Let's call it that. Yeah, right. Sure. Sure. I was listening to, <laughs> I was listening to this, uh, episode of Freakonomics mm-hmm. and, uh, it was on, um, long-term impact, long-term view kind of thing. And I don't know why, but they were interviewing a, uh, SC Santa Cruz professor. Really? And those slugs. I, I, yeah, I, for, I forget what the fuck he was a professor of, but anyway, and I forget why they went from long-term view to this, but this guy, and he's done some research on this, uh, is part of the, what he called BDSM movement. And he, his fantasy role play thing, I, I assume has a sexual component is puppies and there's this whole subculture of people who do this puppy um trainer is the word he used role play as sort of um a relationship and i assume sexual building thing and and uh, i forget his name is it dubner who does um uh um freakonomics 
I, I'm not sure. Anyway, I read the, I read the book, but I, I the host the host of the podcast sort of is, is saying, "Well, do you do this in public as well?" And yeah, they'll they'll go and run around on all fours. And he was talking with pride about his. He has this tail that he wears, and that they'll you know they'll be the master or the trainer, and they'll be the one playing the puppy. And and the reason they use this metaphor um, in their sort of quote unquote role playing is 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 because. Um, that relationship with your dog is a real loving, gentle, and he said it's a good first step into the BDSM world. And I'm listening to this going, well, Lockhead, <laughs> that's fucking different. Yeah. And so w- what's my point? If if I start there with you, it's like, yeah. hey, Mike, nice to meet you. Let me tell you, I really like to pretend to be a puppy while my wife bark, you know, yells at yes. me. And I like yeah. that. So there's that's this a little TMI. There's like, right. you know, there's definitely... You know, you're not going to, that's, it's the whole part, uh, the whole point of, it's about relationship building, you know, like you didn't, you didn't meet your wife and say, Hey, I'm, I want to marry you like tomorrow. And, you know, all, I mean, like that, that wasn't my plan when I yeah, met her at all. <laughs> you know, I mean, you cultivated that relationship. There were surprises, there were disappointments, there was letdowns, there were, you know, uh, a lot you, of surprises, you know, euphoric <laughs> moments there, you know, forgiveness, um, and it's all about communication and reciprocity and meeting someone where they're at. So, you know, yeah, that person is totally different, but they're still a human being. Right. And we have that in common and we have pain in common and suffering in common. Yeah. And, and my only point in that whole diatribe was just, um, you got to connect your different to the world, right? And yeah. and to your homily, to to the, your priest's homily, I think he's absolutely right. We want to start off by being loved. Mm-hmm. The reality is when you and I meet or when we meet anybody, there's a little bit of earning it that you got to do. Sure. And uh, Hal Elrod, you know, what a smart SOB mm-hmm. that guy is. Yeah. He said something fascinating about this, which is when we enter a new social situation, whether it's at work or a party or, you know, whatever it is, and we, you know, we don't know the majority of the people around, the question we're asking ourselves is, how much of my real self can I be here and still be accepted? Right. And so, yeah, there's not a lot of community, you know, if, let me say it this way. If I'm the puppy role play guy and that's like a huge part of my life yeah. and you invite me to a cocktail party at your house or some, you know, some function. Right. And I show up and that's how I, that's the first thing I tell people. I'm probably not going to be friends yes. with that many people at the end of the night. Yeah, You have to be, it, there's a, there's an element of responsibility on how you just, dis- how you show up at certain environments. You know, you're not going to go to a, you know, podcasting net- networking event and display your all your glory, you know, I mean, you're going to kind of, you know, nurture those relationships. You don't show you know? up naked at you the, know? you know, at the black tie party. But, you know, I mean, like you still have to be who you are at the same time, right? Like, yes. And, and if someone doesn't accept you, then that's not your problem. That's their problem. Well, and I'll give you a simple example of that. I'm talking about Catholicism. If I was meeting the Pope, I wouldn't ask him how the fuck he's doing. Yeah. I'm not an idiot. Right. I would try to be what I would think would be appropriate to the situation. And when meeting somebody like that, I probably would have done a little research on how is, you know, it's like with a queen. Right. There's rules about the way you're supposed right. to interact with her. Yeah. 
were I ever to meet the queen, I would get grounded in those rules. And I would, believe it or not, even with my bad behavior, I would be trying to, you know, adhere to those things. At the same time, um, if my swearing's not okay with you, yeah. we can't be friends. Right. Over a long period of time. I can yeah. be good for a dinner. Yeah. I can respect the Pope or the Queen right. or any of that stuff. But if I'm going to have some kind of a long-term, any kind of meaningful relationship with somebody and they can't deal with the fact that I like to swear all the time, then we're not going to be friends. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But then again, when I meet somebody, I don't say, how the fuck are you, Mike? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and Pope Francis has been known to be, pre he's pretty low key, you know, like out of all of the m more recent popes, well, you got Pope Francis and then before him, you have Pope Benedict, who is pretty like not necessarily relational, but for most of my life growing up, we had Pope John Paul, John Paul. II. And I had the opportunity to uh, experience being around him on um, uh, three different occasions. Wow. Yeah. What was that like? Um, my, like there's a, it's a different, it's hard to put into words. Um, because first of all, like if you just break that down, I think there's something to be learn, learned, regardless, regardless of one's faith background, there's something to be learned about that type of commitment, uh, about commitment in general, right? Like, and so you look at religious people, monks, priests, whatever, you know, nuns, my kids go to a, a Catholic school up in the, up in the foothills of Coralitos called Salesian Sisters, which is run by these nuns that are Salesians that, that wear habits, right? They have set themselves apart. They have made a commitment to vows of chastity and poverty and prayer and obedience. Right. Uh, and, and that's just the good part, you know, right. And <laughs> sorry, I couldn't help myself. I know, but like, they're the happiest, like you go up there and you look at these nuns and, and what they're, they are fulfilling. So they, first of all, they're, they made a choice to do that, right? They made a choice to lay their life down in the service of others. And, and they're doing it for their entire life. And, uh, and we don't see that kind of commitment very much. It's, it's our commitment typically lasts as long as it's good for me. And then if, as soon as it starts to not get good for me, my commitment kind of starts to waffle and, we move on and we start looking at other things. Maybe the grass is greener on the other side, right? But like being around Pope John Paul, first of all, this guy um, had to had to become a priest in the underground during uh, you know the World War and all that stuff, right? He um, never let go of his passions for skiing and for hiking. He would sneak out. He would take youth out. He would go out skiing and do all of this stuff and still do everything. He did. Um, he helped, you know, bring an end to communism. He was very much into the solidarity movement uh, within Poland and, and all that stuff and uh, against communism. You know, he he was very much a peacemaker, but he also was not shy from preaching and speaking the truth and calling people on their stuff. Right. But he would love you also. Right. And. And we need more of that in the world where we have like we know people, people have because they have displayed their love and sense of well 
being for our good, that they have earned the ability to when we veer off of the path of what they know we're capable of, our potential, that they've earned the right to say, Mike, that's not who you are, man. Like you are veering way off path, you know, and you have people in your life that have earned that ability, that have earned that permission to say, Christopher, man, dude, you are, what's at stake for you? Are, you know? I even listen to the people now, I didn't used to, but uh, who haven't earned the right. <laughs> <laughs> well, because maybe they have some insight, you know, maybe they have some experience and, and, but the, the well, best, you get to a certain place in life where you realize, hey, I've been wrong. Yeah. And even more importantly, there have been times in my life when I've been wrong that once somebody helped me see I was wrong, my life got a lot better. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to be self-righteous. Um, but at the same time, you go, hmm, maybe listen. The flip side of that coin, however, is um, you also have to be careful who you listen to. Oh, yeah. 100%. Because one of my favorite quotes is Einstein. Um, Great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. Ooh. I've never heard that one. I like yeah. That one. And so, look, it's easy to be ju ju uh, 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 judgmental and just say, oh, well, you're clearly a mediocre mind. Go fuck yourself. So there's some magical line we're trying to walk. Um. So that all that said, I think ch making sure you're clear about who you choose to listen to is important. Mm -hmm. That said, everybody potentially has something to teach yeah. us, right? Right. I think a good way to filter that is like, who, who are they trying to serve? Are they are they trying to serve themselves? Are they are they speaking for their own glorification, or are they trying to do some good for others? Right. Like everything, my. If they have an other orientation, as a, as a friend of mine named Anthony Iannarino, who's a you know got he's got a great podcast. He's a sales professional, like an educator and speaker out of Ohio. Um, he talks about the other orientation, and you know Bob Berg talks about it in the Go Giver, all that stuff, right? Like we everything that we're like you're not doing this podcast just to serve yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to be overly confusing of myself or anyone else that I'm some kind of Mother Teresa figure. Um, so, you know, caveat, caveat. Yeah. And I want to have a good time. I think Spinal Tap was right. In a lot of ways, the meaning of life is have a good time all the time. Yeah. We're very lucky to be where we are. Um, and so I think if you're if you're in a part of the world where you don't have to worry about bombs going off and food security and, and, and so forth and so on, then I think we have a, we have a, um, almost like a sacred mission to have a good time. <laughs> we have, totally. So, so I, you know, that's primarily what my motivation with the podcast is. And yes, I think we, uh, all as human beings, certainly a giant motivator for me. I have this it's the thing that drives me the most today. You know, I, I believe in this expression. If you're lucky enough to make it to the top of the mountain, throw down a rope. Right. Right. And, and by the way, there's more mountains I want to climb too. Um, so I don't think I'm done by any stretch of the imagination, but I, yes, I think you're right. There is a huge motivation for many of us um, to make a difference. 
we need to have more of a good time. You certainly have set yourself up to have many environments where you can have a good time, but, and you're doing it here on this show, but you're also doing it. You're, you're, you're a disseminator of fun, right? I hope so. And, and you've created a platform where other people can learn what it means to have a good time and have a, a fun conversation and draw out insight, right? You're able to take your experience where you crushed it, where you in business, where you failed in business, where you crushed it in relationships, where you failed in relationships, and then your desire, your curious nature and your willingness to collaborate with others and package all of that stuff up. Yes. And it becomes the Christopher Lockhead show, you know, and and that is a worthy cause. That is something that's going to be of service to other people. I hope so. You know, there are other there's others. And we, we've been talking a lot about this in your Facebook group who who are not here to serve others. Yes, they are here to serve themselves and pad their their wallets. And you know it like without even knowing it. I'm it not makes me names. so fucking angry. Well, I'm not going to name names, but like you can go follow, uh, you know, go join Christopher's Facebook group, which I'm sure he'll link to in the show notes or shout out right now. On the, but you can find out who's who in that in that conversation. But the reality is, is that you don't even need to know the name because you can hear it in the, the, the authenticity of the conversation. It's just not there. I, you know, maybe it's cause I grew up as a punk rocker or whatever, you know, there was this word in the punk rock days. This is the biggest pejorative you could be called in the scene I grew up in. And that was poser. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of posers. And, yeah. and then the other one, it's funny how you connect things in your head. The other one that's connected to me in that regard is my aim is true. Elvis Costello, right? Yeah. And it's not that at some level, everything we do is at least somewhat self-serving. Yeah. Right. Even the most benevolent I'm person on this ever. show because I want to build a relationship with you, but I also want to hopefully sell some more copies of my book and get it out there. That's, that's self-serving. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. Carrie Walsh Jennings says to me, we were talking about intrinsic and extrinsic motivators, right. right? And she, for somebody who lives in a world where she's competing for the extrinsic. Yeah. She struck me as somebody who's very intrinsically motivated. So I was asking her about this and she said, look, absolutely. And I want to be a champion every day and I want to be proud of myself and I want to make my husband and my family and my kid, all that intrinsic stuff. And then she said, and I love this, but don't be confused. I want a gold medal. Yeah. And when Lululemon sends me the sponsorship check, I cash it. Yeah. And it's why I love this conversation about sort of legendary business, legendary life, right? It's like, well... I'm a blatant capitalist, but at the same time, I want a world that works for everybody. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you call that. So I don't know what you call that. Right. Yeah. I love, and some people might, might think it's a dichotomy. I actually don't think it is, but I love sitting at the intersection of make a lot of money, make a big difference or have a very good time, make a big difference. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so at one level I could give a shit if anybody ever bought a book or downloaded a podcast because I got to write it and I got to have these amazing conversations. But that would be a total lie. There's part of me that cares about are these things that I do received successfully, right? right? And so that intrinsic, extrinsic balance. But I think the thing that on the posers, I think they're way tipped on the extrinsic. Oh, totally. And they didn't... They, and that's why we hate them. Yeah. Well, they, they didn't start that way, I don't think, either. I think that they... 
I think what happened is they stopped caring. Like they got to a certain point where other things were more interesting to them, but they could still, they were still raking it in on sponsorships and all that stuff. And they just don't care. I think when a guy who purports to be a guy who has a hundred million dollar business yeah. is going to a, an event that people pay four grand to go to and they are guaranteed getting on his podcast and, and this is the important part, he doesn't fucking disclose that to his listeners. Yeah. You're full of shit. You're, you're full of, you're lying to your listeners. You, you, you may very well be lying. I don't know why a hundred million dollar business owner needs to charge somebody four grand for an episode. Right. Ego. Right. Or like there's something wrong there's, with these there's people. There's one that's worse than that. There's one that's worse than that. And what's that? $6,500. Yeah, I know. For, for I, 24 minutes. I think Paris. I know the one you're talking about. I heard he's only getting $3,500. No, I double checked. <laughs> oh, did you? Yes, because I got into a debate with someone on your Facebook group, and it was $3,500 when I first reported it. But and they, he increased it's it? doubled now to $6,500. People are paying that? They must. I'll tell you, I, I went on that show. Nothing happened for my business. Yeah. Some, and actually, this is a side note, but... I did a bunch of guesting on a bunch of podcasts, particularly in the beginning. And I think some of them were helpful, but most of them were not. Yeah. And in that one, with that one in particular, if you like that podcast, you're going to fucking hate my podcast. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, so it's, it's, it's going to, it's going to get caught up and then with, with people that do that, they won't be able to do that soon because it's basically payola, which is illegal. Uh, pay for play kind of stuff in the radio world. It's just, it's just, is illegal, like carte blanche and, um, the music industry tried to do it. They got slapped. Podcasters are going to get slapped. They'll get, that's fined, what I think. That's know? what I think is going to happen. And um, the thing that pisses me off is these guys are shitting in our pool. Yeah. That's what pisses yeah. me off. And the really, the really, really good ones, the ones that are, are trying to do good in the world with their shows and I will name some of them because we know some of them, like the like the Jordan Harbingers of the world, um, the Lewis Howes of the world, you know, the um uh I'm not so sure on Lewis, I hate to say, but well, I yeah, I'm pretty sure I I haven't I I haven't heard that, you know. I don't know if he's charging anybody, yeah. but let me say yeah. let me say it this way. It's cool if you're a fan. I'm yeah. not really a fan. Yeah. Uh, you know who's another great podcaster? A guy named Ryan Hawk who has a show called The Learning Leader Show. I don't know him. Um, you know, those guys are are really doing this uh, out of a service for others and, and a desire to learn for themselves. And they're yes, and they're not trying. You know, they, they have sponsors on their show. Like they're doing it like the ethical way, but but they're not they're not trying to rip people off and lie to them. Yes, but even, yes, and I hate that. And the ones that I love the most are, um, I hate to use the word because it's so overused, but they're authentic, right? So right. you mentioned Jordan, he's great. Uh, I love his producer, Jason, Jason. DeFilippo, yeah, yeah. and I think Grumpy Old Geeks is an absolute. I haven't, I, I haven't listened to that show, I gotta check it out. Oh my God, it's so fucking great. He and his co-host, Brian uh, Schumeister, have a great vibe together. They are very grumpy and very geeky. It's very entertaining. I don't always agree with it. Sometimes they're too grumpy for me, although I can get my grump on <laughs> for sure. 
but no matter what, they're always entertaining and I always love them. That's sort of one example. There's two others that are in my mind that of podcasts that are just pure love. And, um, uh, we recently had Randy Comazar on mm. and he's a partner at Kleiner Perkins mm. and I've known him for years. I don't know him well, uh, but he did a podcast with a guy I know much better named Paul Martino and both of them were very close to Bill Campbell mm. and they put out this podcast, no bull about Bill Campbell. Wow. And they interviewed people who worked with Bill and got coached by Bill and Randy had the amazing sixth sense as Bill was getting weaker towards the end of his life to convince Bill to sit down and tape a bunch of shit with him. And I, I sort of, and the analogy to me is when Rick Rubin, the legendary music producer, went to Johnny Cash towards the end of his life and said, listen, let's do some stuff. And they recorded a whole bunch of covers. And I think it's some of the best work. You know, when you listen to... Johnny Cash singing U2's One. Uh, if you're not moved to tears at the end of that performance, there's something wrong with yeah. you. Anyway, long story, way longer, Mike. I think what Randy did was very much akin to what Ruben did with Johnny. And here's the thing, and I said it to Randy when he came um, on, on, on my podcast. I've seen a lot of people in situations like this say what they're doing mm -hmm. in this paradigm is to launch a podcast in, in celebration of the teachings and the awesomeness of Bill Campbell and to give that to the world. And then you press play and it's really all about them. Mm -hmm. And it's really angering. Yeah. These guys did the opposite of that. And so to go back to the Elvis Costello quote, we can all tell when the aim is true. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Randy and Martino are big guys. I would say big ego guys, not in that they're egotistic, but these are big, successful Silicon Valley ding-dongs. Yeah. Their whole focus in this was to honor Bill and to share Bill with the world. And it, it, who you are screams so loudly yeah. I can't hear what you say, right? You know, Bill Campbell didn't take any money in coaching his those people. In the vast majority. There were certain situations where he was on the board or he did yeah. have an advisor relationship, but in many cases there was no economic relationship. No economic relationship. It was all, you know, it was all because he wanted to give back, you know, and, and to, and that goes back to what your, your whole idea of, you know, when you've reached the summit, throw a rope down for others, you know, and we can all do that every single day. You know, if you have a good day and someone has had a bad day, help them have a good day. Why not? What are you going to lose? At least not be an asshole to them. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that we, we can, yeah, and I'm not perfect at this. You know, I'm by far the biggest culprit of not doing this, but I, I'm aware of it now, right? I catch myself when I'm, when I'm not serving others or I have four kids. And when I hear myself saying like no, a, like a good Catholic, yeah, you know, I'm one of six. So, you know, apparently, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're down a couple. You, you need know. to get busy. You might need to leave here right now. I know. But uh, I know my wife's called me a couple of times. You know, yeah. Who knows? who knows? But when I hear myself saying no to them, what I've come to learn is, is I can hear myself, my, my internal voice correcting myself saying, you're just saying no, because they're inconveniencing you. And that is not a good reason to say no. 
Yes. And we can take that whole same approach to every relationship, personal, business, you know, where everybody's in a hurry. Like when, when someone at, like if there's a homeless person on the street, now granted Santa Cruz is a little bit like everything weird in this sense, because we have like real homeless people who are mentally disabled and, and actually are homeless. And then we have the majority, which are transients that, that just decided to live a vagabond lifestyle and live on the street and make tent camps and do drugs and leave needles all over the place. But when you're passing a, a homeless person who is legitimately, you know, out on the street, they, they have mental disabilities and they ask you for money and you're in a hurry and you say, no, I don't have money, even though you have loose change in your pocket and you say, no, really ask yourself why, why are you saying no? It's because you're afraid that that they're going to go use that 25 cents, 50 cents, 75 cents to go buy some booze? Or is it because you're in a hurry to go get to that coffee appointment? Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is a really big topic, right? Um, and I think it's for, in my mind, it's where and how do we draw the lines, mm -hmm. right? So... Um, if you're on the street and you see somebody get hit by a car, most of us are going to stop, call 911, you know, take off your shirt and t tie off a bleeding right. limp, whatever. You're going to do whatever you can do because you saw this horrible thing happen and have it right in front of your face and you're going to interrupt your day and you're going to spend time and you're going to potentially spend money and, and resources. Maybe you'll throw them in your car and bring them, whatever it is, right? Right. The interesting question is, um, somebody else will do it. Well, and, and the other one to me is just cause you don't see it, it didn't happen. Right. Right. And so these questions to me are all about where do you draw the line? The flip side of it, however, is if I said, well, you know what? Um, I want to give 20 bucks to every homeless person in Santa Cruz. There's a lot, of, you'd be busy doing that and you'd have to have a Wells Fargo truck and mm -hmm. if you wanted to do it on any regular basis. So there's also an element of like, well, I can't save everybody, right? Yeah. And then to your point on the value judgment, you know, I could hear it in your voice about, ah, well, you take, you know, the needles and this and that. And so there's like good homeless people and bad homeless people, yeah. right? And it's like, okay, well, so how do you decide who the good home, like, I don't know. Well, here's I, how I decide who's good and bad in the homeless world. Like, I, like this is totally a value judgment, but it's, it's, here's how I decide. Here's, here's how I made the call for myself. Okay. If you know what eminent domain is and you know that you can build a, a homeless camp on a, a stretch of property that lines a state highway Go, butts up against the state highway and a private property fence and you can build a camp there. You should be an entrepreneur because you're really smart. <laughs> like you don't deserve to be you. You're you. You should not be homeless. But and that happened in Santa Cruz. I know it did. It was crazy. And and the state didn't do anything about it. The county didn't do anything about it. And they lived there. And it was even worse when there. they when they went to go do something about it. They got stopped right. by a federal judge. Right. And so, but like the 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 thing is, is that 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 community of transients 
uh, know the rules. Like they know the game. Like a yes. real homeless person doesn't know the game. They they don't have the capacity to know the game. They're they're literally sleeping in a corner. Um, you know these guys set up like full on structures. Like I know it's like Burning Man. In Santa I, it was wild <laughs> entrance to Santa Cruz. And and uh, and those people, I can I can tell I can tell that I, I grew up here. You know I could tell the difference, right? Um, and, but, and I, at the same time to go back to the whole point that you brought up earlier, like, I still have to love those people. Those people are human beings, right? Those people are wounded people. I have a much harder time doing the love thing with someone that has made that decision. Yeah. It's hard for us to love somebody if we think, or we think we know they're lazy and looking for a handout, right? right. Many of us, particularly those of us who are more entrepreneurial have a hard time with that one. I think what we have less of a hard time with is to your point, somebody's got a mental illness Yeah. or there are many people who find themselves on hard times. Mm -hmm. Totally. And, um, there are many people who, if they don't have a paycheck for, one or two or three pay periods, they're kind of done. Right. Um, and so the tragedy about all this for me is I don't know what we do about the people who are just mentally ill. I don't, I don't have, I'm not an expert. I have no right. idea. I have no idea either. Um, so there's a tragedy around that. And then I think there's also a tragedy around, um, I think most of us, many of us want to live in a world where if, you find yourself in that situation. We as a society do something to give you a hand. I don't think maybe in perpetuity. Yeah. But, uh, you know, having grown up in Canada, I think there is some power in having a social safety net. Mm -hmm. Now, where do you draw the line? I know one thing's for fucking sure. I draw the line at universal basic income. Yeah, that's crazy. I think it's anti-American and I actually think it's anti-human being. Yeah. That, that, that just universal basic income will strip people of desire and motivation. It's just terrible. It's like a, I mean, anybody who doesn't know what universal basic income is, just go Google it. It's, it will create the, the greatest. Chasm. But there are many people who believe in this I, and think it's the, the right thing. And the, they're the wealthiest people in the world that believe in it. Well, Look, uh, not to get political, but I just saw Cory Booker, who's a candidate for the Democratic presidential uh, spot, um, candidate spot, say that his quote unquote big idea is a baby bonus and that when children reach the age of 18, I think it was 15 grand or 13 grand that the federal government would give them some amount of money. And I, there's no part of me that thinks that's a good idea. No, I mean, it's just, it's ludicrous. I mean, we, we live like there's only one way that the federal government is going to be able to give money to anybody. And it's oh, the only way that they raise revenue is by increasing taxes. You know, that's it. Well, in California, we are with federal and state and you add it all together if we're not at 60%, we're very close. Yeah, it's about 62% effective tax bracket. Right. 
So yeah, so you live, now you could go to France know. and say fuck it, we're going to ninety. Yeah, or you could move to Texas and pay. You know, you won't pay state income tax. You'll pay the same federal tax rate, but you're gonna be in Texas and. Uh, and hey, I like some of part some of yeah, Texas. So I, but like, and the property taxes will be higher. But the the bottom line is like, if you're if you're, it, it comes down to. It's it's a money conversation. Everything is a money conversation, right? And like, certainly, we live here in in the Santa Cruz County and in California because it's beautiful and it's expensive, and we're willing to tolerate the high cost of living here and in California in general because of what it does for us, right? And and that is kind of an. A, a filter that I think that we should all run every decision through, like forget about the money for a second. Like, what does this do for you? Like, does this make, does this add value to your life? Does it make you feel good? Does it like, don't make, did, I just, we, my wife and I, we help, we mentor young couples who are getting ready to get married. And uh, we had a call with a young couple yesterday down in there from Southern California. And um, we, at the end of it, we were like, don't delay having kids just because it's going to cost you money because there, there's no good time to have a, have kids. Like, there's no good time to have kids. You'll never be prepared, you know? <laughs> Trust me, I know. I have four. <laughs> uh, you're going to have a couple more, are you, Mike? <laughs> no, we're, hang, we're, we're hanging tight. We're, we're good. But, like, I think making, like, decisions, obviously, when it comes to a business, an entrepreneurial thing, you know, there's, there's going to be money's going to be a, a, a part of the conversation. Like what, what is our ROI on this kind of investment on starting this business on, you know, making this capital contribution to whatever, but it shouldn't be the, the decision maker. It shouldn't be the thing that makes you, gives you a yes or a no. I've done a lot of things. I've been doing my podcast for three years. I've not made any money on the podcast. Uh, I have only invested in the, in the podcast. I have, uh, just started to monetize things, quote unquote, to use the, the buzzword through my book, um, and speaking and, and, uh, because it's all been done out of love. Yeah. You know, cause I, I, the podcast, I understand I, that <laughs> I, I needed it. I needed the podcast. I was in a point in life where I needed to reach out to people and learn how they managed the various impact moments, the victories, the failures, the brokenness of their life and how they turned that into something that served the, the good. I needed to learn from the best and the brightest on how they did that. That's why it's called the impact entrepreneur show. And then, and then I, I knew I needed to write a book. I knew that, I had a message within me that was transformational and could help people and could really impact people on the, and, and I'm like a vessel uh, for this message. It's not like, I believe again, I, I come from a faith background. So I believe that this was a message, something that was given to me and that I have a responsibility to give to others, right. In a responsible way. Uh, meaning I, I, can't, I have four kids and they go to school and I need to put food on the table and all that stuff. Right. As, as George Bush said, it's going to be hard to put food on your family. <laughs> Although we have been, I have another friend who uh, I met through the podcast named um, 
Jason Katecki, and he has a company called Escape Adult I, Escape Adulthood. Okay, he came up with a he coined a phrase called adultitis. You would love him actually, and he puts on a summit called the Escape Adulthood Summit, and it's all about having fun. And one of the things he encourages families to do is to have a dinner periodically where it's just absolutely ridiculous where like you just eat with oversized utensils and you just break the pattern. Right. And it's like we get in the, and it's, it's so important for us to do that as adults because we get in these patterns and patterns are good when you need efficiency, right? You need to automate things. Patterns are good. When you need creativity, you need to break the pattern. You need to fire. That's why executive teams do offsites. That's why people go to Iceland to mastermind and shit. (laughs) Totally. And that's why you surf. That's why you do crop. That's why I do CrossFit. All of those things to break the pattern, to, to, to remind ourselves to go back to Dr. Albert Bandura, that we are effective, that we can do hard things, that we are worthy of doing hard things and that we can do great things with the hard things that we've encountered. We have to be cognizant of it. We have to own it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, Mike, I want to thank you for writing this book. I, I, the, the big question I wanted to ask you about it is it's, you don't normally see that many business novels. Mm -hmm. So why a novel? It, uh, I think that we, we all learn lessons primarily, the best way we learn lessons is through story. And there's like a, there's tons of nonfiction business books out there and they're good. There are a lot of really good ones, but I, I, I think people have an easier time remembering and recalling through story because the story has emotion in it. Yeah. And this, this story has way emotion, (laughs) a, a, a lot of emotion. It's, it's some of it's based on my personal story. Every per, every character in that, that book is based on some, in some way, shape or form, on a person, a real person or persons that I've met with, related with, heard their story. Um, the character Fidel in the book, who, who is a, one, of the, one of the guides, is based on a, an experience I had with an Uber driver of the same mm-hmm. name. He was literally a, a, he was a Cuban refugee. And his big dream and aspiration in life is to be a millionaire real estate investor. And so he moved here. He signed, got his driver's license, all that stuff. He actually moved to Cuba first. And then he real, I mean, uh, to Miami first, then he realized if he, if he stays in Miami, he might as well have stayed in Cuba. So he moved to Colorado <laughs> Springs and he was driving Uber and he had turned his, his car into a mobile university. So he was making money. He was so smart. He was making money and getting educated all at the same time. Right. And the so, old Zig Ziglar totally. uh, university. So I heard his university. story and I'm like, I just boom, like, like, like it just stuck with me. Right. The, the character Chaz Cho in the book is, is a compilation of a, a local music prodigy from Santa Cruz named Rebecca Jackson and her mentor, David Arbin, who was a, a prodigy violin player and Holocaust survivor. I mashed their two stories and created Chaz Cho. Right. The janitor in the book is a mixture of a bunch of different people. Um, uh, Angelica, the janitor's wife, is based on two nuns. Mm. One is 
um, this nun that I grew up with because I went to the same school as my kids. Her name was Sister Angelita, and she made the best peanut butter and jelly sandwiches ever. Mm-mm. And whenever I forgot my lunch, she would always say, "Mijo, let me make you a peanut butter and jelly mm-hmm. sandwich." Right. And so, so I a little the essence of her is in there, and then another nun named uh, Mother Angelica, who actually was incredibly entrepreneurial. Like she actually started a broadcast network, mm. uh, and 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 it's global, from Birmingham, Alabama, right? And and uh, she proceeded in building this organization without funds and total faith, and now it's a global organization. So I took I mashed there too the essence of them, and and they're both deceased at this point, and and mashed them together and created that that character Angelica. So. I mean, it's all based on real experiences. And the lessons are that if you want to master the key, which is our identity, this is a book about identity. If you want to master your identity, you have to master your story. Who am I? You have to master your gifts. How do you show up in the world? You have to master master your action. What's at stake and why does it matter? And when does it become real? And you have to master your, your community who, who's wildly curious about me and are they eager to collaborate with me and do, have they earned the ability to correct me when they veer off course? So the, the impact is, is happening. People are, are reaching out to me on a regular basis, um, sharing th- how this book is touching them. And I believe that it has a corporate application because every company on the globe must become a personal growth company. And uh, you mentioned Hal Alrod. He's a Cutco guy no they all are all you those know? guys every John single one Rowan, of them you know, is a master they're know. incredible the cutco's a is a successful human being manufacturing plant totally. yeah because <laughs> they make them do hard things by the way yeah way hard things way hard things at a, at a very young age yes. when a lot of people say Knocking you can't do doors, that shit facing rejection yes you know i mean like doing hard scary things asking people for money asking people for money we like like we cannot We've we've gotten so tired of making decisions that we've we as I said earlier we've we've kicked that can down the road and we don't make a lot of decisions we outsource decisions, and so it actually makes us less powerful, I think. Well, I think you're helping to make a lot more people a lot more powerful. I'm trying. Anything else you want to touch on before we wrap, Mr. Flynn? Man, I'm uh, I'm incredibly grateful that we were able to finally do this. You know, uh, it's been a long time coming, and. Um, and just honored to continue to build a relationship with you and um, look forward to continuing to collaborate. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's great to see you. I'm stoked you came over. We could do this yes, in person. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for writing this book. It's a very, it's very heartfelt piece of uh, piece of work. My, my honor, man. Thank you. Thank you. There he is, my buddy, Mike Flynn. I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation. Again, I'd encourage you to check out his podcast, The Impact Entrepreneur, and his new book, Master the key. Now, when publicly traded software company DocuSign wanted to modernize its IT platform and streamline its business, they turned to my friends at NetSuite. Um, You see, revenue recognition had become a bottleneck at DocuSign. And I don't know about you, but revenue, the production of revenue and the recognition of revenue is high on my priority list. (laughs) And, uh, DocuSign, like a lot of companies, had a spreadsheet-reliant process that had grown unmanageable as they approached 100,000 global customers. 
So they turned to NetSuite as, uh, as one integrated platform to uh, get rid of manual processes and a whole bunch of spreadsheets. DocuSign needed a platform that would streamline these processes and put them in the cloud so that they could have powerful budgeting, forecasting, billing, CRM. Yes, that's right. CRM and time and expense management. And that's what they use NetSuite for. It's the platform for knowing and growing, and it's the number one business management platform for growth-oriented companies like DocuSign and probably like your company. Why not check them out today at netsuite.com different. And while you're there, you can set up a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry, netsuite.com different. All right, we would like to thank uh, my friend and our guest today, the spectacular Mike Flynn. Again, his podcast is called Impact Entrepreneur, and his brand new book is called Master the Key. OneLifeFullyLived.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Check us out at the number one LifeFullyLived.org slash C Lockhead. GrowWire.com. It's what uh, entrepreneurial companies and people or people who work at entrepreneurial companies, <laughs> what they're reading. Check out GrowWire.com today. Uh, why wear boring socks? Why not have fun, creative, crazy socks? Uh, socks that make a difference in the world. Check out my friends at johnscrazysocks.com. And if you want to get inspired, like uh, really very few entrepreneurial stories will ever inspire you, check out episode 155 of Legends and Losers with Mark and John Cronin. Uh, my friends at Splunk.com. Splunk is the future of data. And as you know, data gets more and more important and more and more valuable every day. And Splunk is what makes data happen in your business. Check out SPLUNK.com. Play Bigger, the instant classic from, uh, from my friends at HarperCollins. Uh, what, pirate, uh, what pirate streamers and innovators are doing? Yeah, it's got some kind of a subtitle like that. <laughs> You'd think I'd remember the subtitle of my own damn book. Play bigger, pick it up wherever you get legendary books. And um, uh, I also want to tell you about another podcast I love, the Mission Daily Podcast. It was one of Apple's top podcasts for 2018. Check out the Mission Daily Podcast and the amazing folks at DonorsChoose.org. This is the nonprofit helping public school students and teachers raise money to do things they need to do. So check them out. It'll uh, warm your heart. DonorsChoose.org. All right. I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. We must warn you that this podcast is clearly created in a studio that does contain nuts. Uh, we are produced by the uh, nicest man in podcasting, Jamie J. And Sarah Knox, the incredible, edited by the legendary Mike D. Show notes by Diane uh, Gervasio. Newsletter by Karen Anahog. Analytics by Rowan Nostros. And Sherwin Amel does our website development. If you haven't checked out Lockhead.com, you can to check out Sherwin's fantastic work. Don't forget to support independent podcasters and authors only by free-range pasture-raised eggs. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Elizabeth Holmes, former CEO of Theranos. Sorry, Lizzie, we just ran out of time for you. That's it. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. Stay legendary. And until we're together again, of course, follow your difference. 